Okay. What was the last really good story that you read? I love stories and my kids love stories. I spend a lot of my life reading, wait for it, Biff and Chip books. I don't know <laughs> how many of you have to endure the same, the pleasure of that. Every day, pretty much every day, I read a Biff and Chip book. Um, and man, my kids love those stories over and over and over again. And for those of you who've not experienced the joy, um, the premise of these stories is that there are three very ordinary kids, regular kids, that through the magic of a key, they get transported from their ordinary life into this magical, amazing adventure. And they're pretty good. They are pretty good. Um, so they could be looking at a fish tank, and then the key begins to glow, and they are transported into this magical underwater world. Or they could be watching a TV program about giants, and suddenly the key begins to, begins to glow, and they get transported into this world of giants. And these stories captivate the attention of children because they're full of exciting things, thrilling adventure, adventures. Ordinary life, though. Oh. I grew up reading those books too, and I'll be honest, I longed for the magic key in my life. I really enjoyed those bo books, but I longed for the, the key to glow and for me to be transported into this exciting other world. And let's be honest, we live in a culture and a world where extraordinary is all that really matters. That's the message that we get given. Our culture actually despises the curse of living a ordinary, mediocre, average kind of life. We are always fed this message, subtly or really overtly, that we need to make our lives count for something. We need to fulfill our potential, unlock our potential. We need to reach for the stars. We need to make a difference, make an impact on this world. Even as Christians, we may have developed an impatience and a disdain for the ordinary. In some churches, we can hear the message that we need to be radical. We need to be world changers. We need to make a difference for our extraordinary God. And God is extraordinary. So where do our ordinary lives in the suburbs of southeast London fit into this extraordinary, awesome, cosmic story of God's redemption for humanity? How do our lives fit into that? I haven't actually always lived around here. I grew up in Pakistan in Karachi as a missionary kid. I lived there for 10 years, and the experience of living in that part of the world was an amazing one. It had its challenges, but we had some remarkable experiences. As a family, we survived living there during the Gulf War. That actually sounds a lot more dramatic than it was. But there was definitely a sense that we needed to um, keep a low profile. There were curfews across the city. Um, we got caught up in riots. Um, we got caught up in a riot once. I vividly remember being in the car um, and there were people all around us shaking the car, threatening to overturn it. And um, we escaped unharmed. My parents and my poor grandma, who was visiting us, were shot at as they were driving. My mum had to like dive underneath the steering wheel and drive without being able to see where she was going. We survived horrible illnesses, typhoid, septicemia. We coexisted with cockroaches. Not a laughing matter, actually. I've never been able to eat prunes or dates ever since. Um, <laughs> I survived PE lessons that basically involved doing synchronized marching to orchestral music around the concrete playground. Not, no, no joke. Um, we had a rock slide adventure on holiday once where 
we were traveling in this van up in the mountains and there was this massive rock slide in front of us and we had to, to cross it and it was dangerous. We had to carry all our luggage for miles and miles and miles around these mountains in northern Pakistan. I mean, it was full of adventure. It's actually the only time then that I heard my mother swear on, in that moment. But um, during monsoon rains, we used to, it used to just, there was flooding everywhere and it just rained and rained and rained and rained. And we used to watch our dog swimming in our garden from our roof. It's amazing. Flat roof, just watched him swimming around the compound. My parents actually had quite a life. They'd got married and two years later, they decided that they, God was calling them to India. So they got in a van and they drove there. I didn't even know you could do that, but they did. And they've got these amazing stories of falling into open sewers and being crushed between trucks in the Himalayas and these incredible stories. They were challenging experiences that they had and they were hard, but they would not be what I described as ordinary. Their exploits for Jesus were these action-packed mental ones. And as a child, I had a bit of a taste of what it meant to kind of live radically for Jesus. Well, that's what I thought. I guess I grew up anticipating that kind of adventure to continue into my adulthood. We left Pakistan and I spent my teenage years in Bromley. And when I <laughs> Who's laughing at that? <laughs> when I left school, wait for it, I did a gap year in South Africa. Back to the excitement with a mission organization. And at the end of my time, I felt really excited about where God was going to call me. Uh, to be honest, I didn't really want to come back to university. I wanted to count the cost and uh, I had great expectations that God was going to call me to the ends of the earth where I was going to live a radical life for him. But I did go to uni. I went to Durham. I was pursuing adventures up north. <laughs> and I met James. Woo! <laughs> And I got accepted, we both got accepted onto a, a program called Teach First, which was based in London at the time. So we moved back down south um, and taught in London schools. And a few years later, we've ended up living in suburban Sidcup, which is only three, mil three miles away from Bromley, so, <laughs> where I'd spent my teenagers. So not exactly the ends of the earth. My life has turned out a bit different to how I anticipated it to. I'm a stay-at-home mum to three delightful rascals who are aged six, four, and two. And my days are spent, by and large, doing very ordinary things, like reading Biff and Chip books, housework and washing up dishes, doing laundry and what I call the food cycle, which is food shopping, making meals, clearing up after those meals, and then changing nappies. Um, <laughs> school runs, mopping up nosebleeds, filling up our car with diesel, fixing broken toys, building Lego, hoovering out the car, very occasionally. Um, and like most of us, my whatever you do looks very ordinary for the vast majority of the time. James and I didn't welcome in ordinary life intentionally, and nor did we fight against it. Ordinary life just came, like it does for everyone. And so how should we view our everyday ordinary can we really shine brightly for Jesus in the way that we commute to work, watch TV, wash up? Does God really care about our taking out of the bins, our shopping habits, our conversations around the dinner table? The answer is yes, absolutely he does. Paul Tripp said once, if God doesn't rule your mundane, he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. That's where we live. Every day in countless ways, God's light shines through his people in the thick of ordinary existence. His light shines through and we recognize that our lives are about something much bigger than the sum of the individual parts of it. 
We shine brightly when we realize that we can look at our life with eyes of faith and see that our story, all of it, not just the big moments, all of it has significance and it has meaning because we're caught up in God's big story. Jesus told lots of stories about ordinary things. I love reading the Gospels. It told, he told stories about salt and lamps and gates and lost coins and managers and mustard seeds and farmers and sheep. And he used everyday stuff like the lilies of the field and the birds of the air to tell us something, to teach us something about the kingdom of God and the things that he's most bothered about. Ordinary life, ordinary people with faith in an extraordinary God. And if you're a Christian here this morning, our own stories of faith began when we put our hope and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So my first point, our faith-filled ordinariness reflects God's glory. So important. When you became a Christian, you became a new creation in Christ. That's easy to say, but what does it mean? Because many things don't change when we become a Christian. Financial situations, jobs, relationship issues, health problems, they don't automatically go away or get magically transformed at the very beginning. But scripture says that when you become a Christian, you became a child of God. You became spiritually alive. And that because of Jesus, nothing can separate you from God's love. You are loved. Jesus' blood has redeemed you. We've been hearing about this in worship. You have been forgiven. There is now no more condemnation. There is no more shame. There is no room for self-loathing. The same God who made galaxies and the same God who made the laws of science and physics is the same God who chose you to be adopted into his family. You are loved. We are loved perfectly and we will be forever. And you've been created for eternity. The hope of glory is a sure and a certain one. The hope of glory is sure and it's certain and it transforms the way we see our lives. Jesus lives in us. And I kept getting this over and over as I was praying this. God is with us and he is for us every day, whatever we do. But when we become a Christian, our lives become about something very different. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a kind of go-to verse of this sermon series. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Our ordinary lives as Christians now become different. They've got a new purpose. It's about giving glory to God. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod and it means weight. So when we're talking about the glory of God, we're talking about the weight of all that he is. We're talking about his perfect love, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his power, his grace. All those things make him glorious. And his glory is the weight, the sum of all that he is. Everyday life is the arena in which we point others to the glory of God. We glorify God when we throw the spotlight off ourselves and onto God and say, look how great he is. It's no longer about trying to strive to make our own lives great and meaningful. Because as Christians, we no longer live for our own name to make it great. But we live for the glory of his name. No other name. Jesus. We were singing that in worship. No other name. 
We shine brightly when we understand our ultimate purpose becomes to know God, enjoy him, and live for his glory. Galatians 2.20 says, it's a famous one, but it's incredible truth. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life we now live, the ordinary stuff, we live by faith. Many of us have longed for life, maybe, to look different to how it actually does. But scripture tells us over and over and over that we need to look at our lives, the very detail of our lives, with eyes of faith. Live by faith. Grasp that there's an unseen reality playing out all the time and that each of us can bring glory to God right where we are in ordinary life. Life may have turned out different to how I expected it to, but it wouldn't change it. And you might say, oh, really? You can have it all these days. You can have a career. You can have the family life. You can have the whole works. And in fact, when I quit teaching, um, which was six years ago, my boss did say, her words were, such a waste. (laughs) And the last six years haven't been a waste. In the last six years, there have been highs and there have been lows. But I'm learning like Paul when he talks in Philippians 4, He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not a waste because I've got Jesus. (laughs) Jesus means everything. And it's not the easy option. I need Jesus to strengthen me. You know, sometimes it takes more courage to listen well to the people in my house than to do much riskier things that I was involved with when we were in Pakistan. It takes more of a revolution of my heart when I'm really low on sleep and low on patience to come down and face that kitchen full of dirty dishes than it does to maybe do the braver things that we would assume take more courage. It takes more of a revolution in my heart to do the ordinary stuff. And as a stay-at-home mum, my ultimate highest calling is to glorify God and enjoy him. And I do this in the way I care for my children and I serve them. And there have been moments where the monotony of it has got to me. Don't you just love kids that just say, again, 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 again. And you're like, I want, I've sometimes thought, I will just do this and do this to see when you get bored. And it doesn't ever happen. They will go, again, again, again. This monotony, and many of us would say that ordinary life has that element to it, of monotony, the same things over and over again. There is beauty in monotony. There is beauty and value in it. The great reformer Martin Luther said this about the duties of a Christian father. What then does Christian faith say to this? It opens its eyes, looks upon all these insignificant, distasteful and despised duties in the spirit, and is aware that they are all adorned with divine approval as with the costliest of gold and jewels. It says, O God, because I am certain that you have created me as a man and have from my body given this child, I also know for a certainty that it meets your perfect pleasure. I confess to you, I am not worthy to rock this little babe or wash its nappies, 
to wash them, not just change nappies, wash nappies, or to be entrusted with the care of this child. But oh, how gladly will I do so. Neither frost nor heat, neither drudgery nor labor will distress or dissuade me, for I am certain it is pleasing in your sight. When a father goes ahead and washes or changes nappies, God with all his angels and creatures, is smiling. Not because that father is changing nappies, but because he's doing it in Christian faith. It's profound. God is smiling over us in the monotony. You know, when my kids do things over and over again, one of the things they love doing is trampolining. And it's the same thing. Up, down, up, down, up, down. And Daniel loves it. He's my two-year-old. And at home, he's like, go trampoline. It's like, yeah, go for it. Go Off you go. A minute later, he's back. Mummy, watch me. Yeah, I'll watch you for a bit. Up, down, up, down. And every time he looks at me, because he's watching my face the whole time, I have to smile. I have to smile. And it gives him such pleasure. It's what he loves. You know, he's doing the same thing over and over again. But what he wants to see is my smiling face over him, enjoying him. And if I disappear off to get on with something, comes back, Mummy, watch me. And you know what? That's a picture of what happens with us and God. We do the same things over and over and over again. And that monotony has beauty because our Father, our Heavenly Father, is smiling over us. He's enjoying us. We have his pleasure over us as we do things faithfully and in Christian faith. And he's a perfect parent. He's not like me who gets, oh, five minutes, I'll just sneak off, he won't notice. He's not like that. He's there. He's continuing to be there, smiling over you. You can feel his pleasure in the monotony. The same applies to whatever it is that God has given you to do. The Lord of the universe has invited you to care for the clients that you care for or to care for the elderly parents that you're looking after. The author of life himself has provided you with the skills you've got to nurse those patients to the glory of God or to study that degree or to do that course. God has entrusted you with this role to be a waitress or a midwife to serve people well, to be a blessing to your employers. And he smiles over you and he enjoys you. And when we do it with eyes of faith, it brings so much glory to God. God, with all his angels and creatures, is smiling. We can be sure of his pleasure. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you sure of his pleasure in your life? In Philippians 2.13, Paul says that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our ordinariness is infused with beauty when we realize that through it we can know the pleasure of God. Everything we do, no matter how small, can be significant. It can play a part in the picture that God is painting to display the greatness of his power and wisdom to the world. But there's a sobering reality. Just by mere fact of being a Christian does not mean that your everyday brings glory to God. We bring glory to God when we take God at his word and have eyes of faith and we say something about the sufficiency of Christ. And that's my next point. Our faith-filled ordinariness says that Jesus is enough for us. In Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, we read, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
Again, something about God's pleasure. It says here that God delights in our knowing him and our enjoyment of him. Our culture, let's be really clear on this, it screams at us that we find our significance and our acceptance through what we do. Through our status, through our accomplishments, through our accumulated wealth, through our physical beauty. It is screaming at you that you are only worth what you do and what you look like and what you have. You know, and I just wondered, some of us live with a restlessness that this mentality that the life you're really meant to live is just around the corner. It's just out of reach. This life that I'm really supposed to be living is, is waiting for me and it's just around there. If I could just have that bigger house or whatever it is, whatever you daydream about, that often tells you what it is. If I could just have that, that's called chasing life. And it's actually really hard to shine for Jesus in our ordinary life if we're chasing life and if we've lost sight of the majesty of God. Because we invariably fill in the gap with something or someone else. Our ordinariness, well, we come to despise it in some way. We believe a deeper, more fulfilling experience of life is just out of reach. We believe that we're actually doing fine with our intimacy with God and we can become self-sufficient. So here's a question for us. Is the sufficiency of Christ enough to satisfy your soul? Is Jesus enough? Or do you believe that deeper contentment can be found somewhere else? Because the good news is that even if your answer is, I don't know if he's enough, God meets us at the point of our prideful self-sufficiency. He can encounter us as we're running away and he draws us back and lovingly brings us to our knees. As Christians, our deepest needs are met in Christ. We don't have to chase life or prove ourselves. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you're a Christian, you are already right now in possession of full life. It's not around the corner, just out of reach. You have it now. And your life has beauty and worth and value. You get Jesus now with you, for you, forever. It's enough for us to be satisfied. We sang it in worship. The riches of his love will always be enough. The sufficiency of Christ means we can be freed from the slavery of individualism from searching for identity and notoriety and meaning. Our deepest needs are met in him. In ordinary life, right now, his grace finds us. His grace finds us and is sufficient for us. Our daily routines can give us opportunities to gaze on him. We shouldn't detach our hearts from the things that we do, the ordinary stuff. We can be satisfied with the worth and the weight the majesty of God and in this way we shine and glorify him because we really are taking the spotlight off ourselves and throwing it onto God so how we respond to criticism in the workplace or gossip at the school gate or in our circle of friends it really matters to God how we respond to being left out really matters to God I had this experience a while back bit awkward but I'm gonna share it with you um it was a Sunday and I bumped into someone in the corridor and they said oh Hannah great you going to um this thing this particular event this uh, this afternoon and I knew nothing about it I said oh no no I'm not going she looked at me she's like no you must be going 
you must be invited. It's like, no, 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 I don't know anything about it. No, you must be going anyway. This continued and then we had the meeting and at the end I thought, hopefully she's not going to carry on, but she did. She approached me and there was a group of people and she said, I'm sure you were on the WhatsApp invite. I'm sure you were. Look, starts going through. There's a group of people watching and I'm like, I really wasn't. I Look, look, th going through, going through. I'm sure you're on here. I'm sure you're on here. Sure you're on here. <laughs> and then she went, oh, oh, it was a different Hannah. Oh. <laughs> so, and I laughed it off pretended like I didn't care. I'm so confident in my identity, it doesn't bother me. And then I got into the car at the end of church and I just realized that my heart, I did feel affected by it. I felt left out and I didn't like it. I felt insecure. I felt that sort of crushing sense of not being good enough, being overlooked. And I don't always do this. this is, sometimes I don't deal with it as well, but I just remember thinking, I am not going to put the engine on and leave this place till my heart is right with God. And so it was that moment of saying, Jesus, you are enough for me. I have your perfect love. This is what is speaking truth to yourself. I am accepted and approved of by the almighty God. He's the only one who matters. He's the only opinion that I actually care about. I have been chosen in Christ so I am not rejected or overlooked. I have been loved and I am secure in Christ. And this is not going to affect my day. And I was thumping on the steering wheel and the kids were screaming in the back. And then I went, and I felt all right. I, I, it had gone. It had passed. My heart was secure in Christ. I remembered that Jesus is enough. And I started the engine and carried on with my day. And that's just an example. But how we react to stuff matters frustrations in marriage, friendship, disappointment of being left, let down by people at work or colleagues, how we respond to that rising sense of anxiety when loved ones are ill. It matters. Not because you have to put a brave face on and pretend to be unaffected. That's not real. But our responses say something about how we see God. As Christians deepen us, we have a hope and a confidence that is unshakable. Because it's not built on things going our way, on life turning out right for us. But it's built on Jesus' blood and his righteousness. God is for me and he is good. And in ways I don't understand, he is working all these things for my good and his glory. Isaiah 43 says, When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. We glorify him when we fix our eyes on him. God is with us and he is for us. And when we're disappointed, when we're hurting, when we're fearful, we remind ourselves that our lives are built on the rock that is Christ Jesus. And therefore, these things shall not consume us. The world is full of sadness and brokenness. We all know it. Living a life that points to Jesus and his self-sufficiency means every day we do get opportunities to display him to a watching world that desperately needs him. And our faith-filled ordinary says something about the sufficiency of Christ, but it also makes us more like him. It's incredible. Ephesians 5 Verses one to do. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Walk in faith and in love by the Spirit. It's our heart that's the key. I don't need a magic key. It's our heart that's the key. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in us 
through that, we can cultivate heart attitudes that imitate Christ in whatever it is we're doing our, giving ourselves to. The ordinary stuff is the primary place for Holy Spirit activity. It is the primary place. This isn't. The ordinary stuff that makes up most of our lives is the primary place where the Holy Spirit's at work. Tasks can be done with different motives. I can clear up and look after my kids and do a good job. But what has been the condition of my heart? Sometimes I can go about it like a martyr. Might shock you, but no, I do. Feeling self-pity, feeling resentment. To be honest, I think I've probably felt sorry for myself about 12 times today already. It's called a Martha complex. Oh God, here I am again. So on a normal Sunday when I'm not preaching, here I am again, getting the kids ready by myself, bringing them to church by myself. Here I am again at the end of the meeting, gathering them all up from all parts of the building, trying to leave, then putting dinner on, then going to pick James up in Eltham. Oh, my life is so tough. And then, yeah, too often I complain and I tell tales to God in my heart. What's that bit in Philippians about shining like stars? Do everything without grumbling or disputing. You'll shine like stars. But you know what? The Mary Martha account in Luke 10 is incredible. Because when Martha is complaining, Jesus is so gentle with her. When she's grumbling, he says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. It will not be taken from her. Choosing Jesus is our good portion, and we get to do it every day in lots of different ways. When I look to him and I spend time with him, as Mary was doing, he can free us from a troubled and anxious heart. Sometimes, though, I don't have the, the, the um, martyr complex. I have this perfectionist thing. I can go about my work in a driven, perfectionist kind of way, where I'm really putting importance into accomplishing my tasks. I prioritize my goals sometimes more than I prioritize the people in my life that God's given me to care for. And there's nothing wrong with having to-do lists and getting tasks done, but when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit in ordinary life, he wants us to be flexible. He wants the Holy Spirit to be able to redirect our priorities and interrupt us in our busyness. And it took me a while to realize there was something more spiritually profound happening in my heart, in my life, when I responded to the the cries of a child in the night when I was utterly exhausted. I responded lovingly. Then on a Sunday morning with my hands raised in worship, something more spiritually profound. My worship was more profound. We worship Jesus in the everyday when the Holy Spirit is at work in us through them. We can't change ourselves. This isn't about trying harder. We can't change ourselves in a deep, enduring way. But we live out moments in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we get to be more like Jesus through everyday life. Imitating Jesus, we live a life of love, and we can grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Our lives are not our own anymore, and surrendering produces incredible fruit in our character. Jesus didn't despise the ordinary. As I've mentioned, he talked about the ordinary things a lot. And there's this passage I'm just going to read to you. I think it's really powerful. John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and resumed his, put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. For I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Amazing, but so ordinary. He took a towel, water, and a bowl, and had dirty feet. And he redefined what greatness was by saying it was more important to serve than to be served. Sacrificial love that we display in our ordinary lives, doing ordinary things, glorifies God. Dying to self, preferring one another, everyday ordinary stuff. You were bought for a price, and your life is hidden in Christ. An ordinary life displays his glory, and it demonstrates his sufficiency for us, and it makes us more like him. It's profound. And, you know, just as I finished, just as I was preparing this, I really had felt I had a word for a few people. Um, in Galatians 6, 8 to 9, it says, Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I just had a real sense that there are some weary people here. They are weary a little bit of doing good. They know it's good and they know they are sowing to please the Spirit, but you're weary. And I just felt God wanted to encourage you that at the proper time, in his time, you will reap a harvest. But for now, your reward is the pleasure of God. We sow to please the Spirit, and you get that now. You don't have to wait for the harvest, you get that now.